Alrighty, so this is a part two uh, to a three-part podcast. Uh, I sometimes will write out my podcasts on like a Microsoft Word document and then uh, kind of find out later that, you know, it's maybe a little more detail, uh, might be a longer podcast. So I didn't want you guys to just sit through one three-hour podcast, I'd rather just break this up and uh, that way I can record it and not have a big problem with that. So uh, given that I don't actually do any advertising, what really helps the most is word of mouth. So if you enjoy the podcast and you see value in it, then I would absolutely love to ab- share it with other people, uh, You know, give us a compliment here, or uh, better yet, in podcasts on Apple, if you're watching on Facebook, this is later, uh, but I'll be putting the link to the Apple podcast uh, and if you prefer Spotify, it's on Spotify as well. It's on anywhere podcasts are provided. But I will be putting the links in the comment section on the Facebook video. So you can finish the entire podcast there. wanted to tell you guys that up front. In addition to uh, leaving a five-star review. That is very, very helpful in the algorithms of the podcast itself. And uh, yeah, so if anything, also, if you want to support that the work that I do in terms of finances, uh, that's why I offer the Longevity products to the Longevity store and the Longevity wellness. Uh, there's just an endless array of products that are going to make your life better. And we've all understood over the past 2020, uh, this past year, a year and a half or so, that it is very significant that we take our health into our own hands and that it is important if you're going to be a matrix breaker in the sense of the word, uh, you want to be healthy. You want to live your life optimally. You don't want to be relying on prescription medications. You don't want to be relying on certain medication or certain other ailments uh, that are uh, possibly prohibiting you from living a full abundant life, right? And so I can say that for sure. Uh, the longevity products have helped me in many ways. Of course, I'll be drinking that during the podcast. So if you're interested, uh, I will be providing those links as well. And everywhere the description is provided and the uh, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, and even on Facebook. So going to make sure that that is a possibility for everybody to support. Now, with all that being said, let's move into part two of this uh, this podcast. This part is called the populist awakening or the rise of populism, however you want to look at it. And so the last podcast I was talking about Bitcoin and I it was so much to cover given the Bitcoin price drop, given all these different things that are going on, uh, I had to really nail down a whole podcast about it, right? And so Bitcoin is important to populism succeeding in our lifetimes because it will be the first time in history, in the history of the planet that we know of, uh, where money is divorced from state actors, okay? Uh, Untold transparency and accountability will be established for governments worldwide when Bitcoin becomes the world reserve currency. That's what's most important. If you already heard the the last podcast, you already know that. Um, But just wanna reiterate that Bitcoin is not a money-making scheme that you're buying into like a stock. Bitcoin's purpose is to destroy the central banking system that has corrupted not just the United States with the Federal Reserve Bank, but the world with the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, otherwise known as the IMF. Central banking is the top of the hierarchical structure of power and institutional power. Okay, so if we can handle that financial matrix through Bitcoin and other uh, up-and-coming cryptocurrencies along with gold and silver, precious metals, things of that nature, things of, well, funny I say nature, but things of nature, things that are elements uh, that are important and significant that are real real value, right? I was going to say really valuable, but actual real value. Um, And so that's good. That's good. I want to start by saying that that is a part of populism. A part of populism is an awakening happening, which is in the previous part one podcast, which if you have not heard that one, you need to listen to the part one uh, that is going into this one, part two. Uh, Now let's review some of the things going on. Well, the COVID hysteria has now become irrelevant to major institutions across the world. Uh, Recovery economically is meekest uh, when nations are still locked down. 
uh, in Canada and the UK and Australia. Okay, and so there's some different variables happening in those countries right now. Uh, but I can just say that look, the scapegoating of Anthony Fauci and his involvement with the Wuhan lab and the funding of it all really is our entire government, the NIH. And now you have China and the People's Daily, which is their propaganda network, by the way, their their CNN over there uh, is a direct mouthpiece of the Communist Party. Basically, came out and said that this was Obama's fault. And that Obama was the one that sent the that sold the the virus over to China, and that's their version of the story, which is true. The virus, the the COVID nineteen we all just experienced, was developed in a lab in the University of North Carolina, and because of its controversial nature, and in two thousand fifteen, all these scientific journals and articles were written about how it how it is a controversy and how it's questionable and should we be doing gain of function research? I mean, this was mainstream scientific knowledge during that time on all these different journals. It was a, it was a healthy debate to have. It's a real debate to have. Should we be making bioweapons just in case? It's kind of like the nuclear weapons conversation. You know, okay, well, you know, if we build our own nuclear weapons, no one's gonna fuck with us, right? That's kind of the idea with the bioweapons thing. But of course, the doctors and scientists working on bioweapons are going to say, well, we're working on vaccines and we're working on treatments uh, to provide you when we release it, basically. Uh, but I'm sure the low-level scientists and doctors, they, 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 they're doing a wonderful job and they go to work every day to do their research. They have no idea that there's a grand scheme to possibly, maybe, uh, release these kinds of viruses into the public. And no, I do not believe at this point it was an accident. But here's the key. The investigation of what really happened at the Wuhan lab and who's really connected to it all. And now the emails coming out with Dr. Fauci and all those things have now put the media and our government, especially in America, but all over the world now, uh, in a place uh, between a rock and a hard place. I mean, they really can't continue the lockdowns and continue the masking and continue really even the push for vaccines. That conversation has kind of also been thrown out the window because everyone's asking where the fuck this came from. And let me just tell you a story. I was mountain biking uh, on Friday and lots of interactions with people. I was very thankful for that because there were some really interesting parts where we were, we were confused as to where to go, which would be best, that kind of thing. Well, we stopped by these two older gentlemen, maybe in their 50s and 60s. And they were out, by, by the way, they, those people mountain bike. And um, that sounds crazy to you, but that's what Colorado's like, okay? <laughs> uh, just people are, you know, just very, very active here, very healthy, always getting in, soaking in some sunshine, which I'm actually about to continue to do later after this podcast is over. But I was overhearing this guy talk about his father passing away and how, you know, he was saying that he, and this guy, just so you know, I just, I could get his, I could feel his energy. He was just a regular person. He's not a conspiracy theorist and, you know, he's not a rabid leftist either. He's just kind of a down the middle of the road type of guy. I could just feel it from him. And he was just saying how, you know, I went and talked to my doctor and my doctor said that something that, that all, all, if you, if you had the COVID, uh, they diagnose you with it and you had it within 90 days that you, you get put in the COVID pile. They called it the COVID bucket, actually, which his indication of that was the COVID death count, right? Or even the COVID infections. And he had said, he said, he said, man, my, my, you know what, what, my, uh, my dad, he had a, he had a tumor, uh, and he was, he also had cancer, you know, he was like lung cancer. And he said something, cause I had talked to him at this point, you know, and I was over, but I overheard him say about the death count being in the COVID bucket. And I said, I asked him about it. I said, hey, what, what, what happened? If you don't mind me asking, that sounds horrible. Of course, just playing along and do it. And, you know, the guy goes and he shares what happened. He said that his doctor told him that if, if his dad was in the hospital, his dad was going to be always going to be tested over and over and over again, right? And uh, eventually, I mean, his dad was in the hospital for a tumor, dying. I mean, just like anybody. I mean, just typical, like, you know, no offense, but I mean, People who are dying, dying of disease, you know, dying of all kinds of illnesses, right? Well, his dad's dying, and of course, the whole family knows he's had tumors, he's had health issues, he's been struggling, and it's been a, it's been a thing in the family. But all of a sudden, they say he dies of COVID, but he really didn't die of COVID, right? And and you can just tell the red pill in that guy's face, right? 
he just was kind of like talking to his friend about it, trying to explain this to his friend who probably was also just mainstream, wore the mask, everything, you know, during the whole pandemic. And they were both having an epiphany and a red pill moment with each other. And I just so happened to be there, like the ultimate red pillar, in my opinion. And I just said, hey, did you even know that every COVID diagnosis, every positive test, these hospitals and clinics were getting $9,000 to do treatment. And that was directly from the federal government, no insurance involved. And they were just aghast. Like, there was like, no insurance? This was the federal government doing that? And I was like, absolutely. And I said, you guys, you know, it was $49,000 if they put you on a ventilator. So these hospitals and clinics that had ventilators available, if you diagnosed with COVID, they stuck you on a ventilator, which by the way, is a coma. They literally have to put you in a coma and feed you in a little tube and then breathe for you, get a machine to breathe for you. I don't think people understand how nonsensical that is. I mean, that is insane to do that for just a common, again, influenza essentially. So all of this was a big scam and those guys were jaw dropped when I said 49,000 for the ventilators. And so again, I'm getting the pulse of the people, you know, and that's, that's what I do a lot. I always ask questions and knowing where I'm at in my business and my podcast and everything else. I think spiritually God introduces me into people's lives in these critical moments of, of critical thinking uh, and, and to question things. And so I just gave them that little you know, tidbit and I said, I said, you know, honestly, and they were like gasped, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And then I said, to be honest, I believe there should be a Nuremberg trial, a Nuremberg style trial with all the doctors and hospitals and all the politicians involved and all the lockdowns and the shutting down the world economy. I just told them straight up to their face. I said, we should have never shut down the world economy for this. This was absolutely insane. They were just so stunned. I'm not sure exactly what they thought about it, I, but I was being a, an abrasive. They just they were just like, well, wow, thank you. Now we know. That was their response. Now we know. And I tell you that story again, like I said, just to gauge the public opinion on where this is. Does that make sense? It's like a polling data. Like, it's like, are you scared of COVID? Everybody in 2020 March was like, everyone's scared of COVID. And I think what happens is over time, you know, we just all, everyone got over it. And that's what they kept saying. They were like, honestly, you know, people are just over it now. People are just, and they're just regular guys. You know, I'm just having a conversation with regular dudes who probably don't listen to Fox News or CNN. They probably just are regular guys who just go to work and do their thing, you know? And um, I could tell they were well off. They were probably, you know, Little, little bit richer, you know, more wealthier individuals. I don't know what businesses they're doing, but clearly, again, it's just they were regular people in my eyes and they were questioning the legitimacy of COVID. They were questioning the legitimacy of the lockdowns. They weren't saying anything about the vaccine, but again, it's just, it's one of those things. So um, it's very, very important. And I think that a lot of the COVID hysteria is dying down, but never forget what these politicians did. And I'm warning you guys, don't forget it because they're going to try to do this again. Okay, so here is another thing that's developing, all right? We all know uh, that the silent majority in this country voted for Trump, okay? That's, that's what happened. Trump won the election, okay? Uh, people can sense the clear fact that Joe Biden was not only illegally sworn into office of the presidency, but he is also extremely unpopular. This is very key. Um... This is very different, historically speaking, from a Mao, Stalin, or a Hitler. Uh, when evil asserts itself into positions of power, it still needs a popular person to get things done. Because the will of the people is still an important aspect of authoritarianism. They, being those of, in power, need compliance from a willing populace. That's how evil has always amassed such great power is because most of the people actually believe in the authoritarian ruler. And this is just simply not the case with Joe Biden. Okay, if you understand that, then historically speaking, you can understand how this kind of is a total misfire in terms of authoritarianism in the past. So look, Hitler was voted in office. Okay. He had like 
80% support in Germany. And it was a super nationalist socialist agenda. They were giving out free beer. And they were giving out free all this stuff. I mean, it's just, it was crazy. I mean, they were get, they had prostitutes at their, their, their political rallies. Just like, hey, hook up with Nazis. Hook up with them. They're the best. You know, like, I mean, bro, it, it, I'm calling you bro. I don't even know if you're bro. You're probably a female. I have no idea who, who you are right now. But I'm just saying like, that's insane. Okay. Um, so, but the point is this, that Hitler was voted into power. He didn't just uh, steal elections to get into power. No, he was a genuinely popular person. Then the things he did, even then some of his major supporters still supported Hitler, right? Even after the war. Um, so much so that in Argentina, there was an entire Nazi enclave that existed and actually still exists to this day. There's been many books written about it. And the World War II might have ended in 1945, but the, the real war for defeating Nazism continued into the 1970s, believe it or not. Uh, they were chasing Nazis, high top-level Nazis, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years after the war, it was an insane time. And if y'all don't know that, that's where the Marvel comics of the Avengers actually comes from. It actually comes from Mossad agents, which are Israeli, sort of the Israeli CIA, if you can imagine that, and how those agents basically pursued all of these German Nazis that fled to Argentina which is in South America, just so you know, uh, where they lived out the rest of their lives. And again, in many cases, even getting back into political power in Argentina. So that sounds insane, but uh, again, this is where we were back then. And so with Joe Biden, it's like he had to, they had to steal their way into power, not even him. He had no idea what's going on. It's very clear and apparent that the guy is losing it, right? So I just want to make that uh, uh, clear with all of you because, uh, you know, he's not that powerful because he's not popular. Nobody likes the guy. Nobody's paying attention to politics anymore um, in a sense that nobody really cares what's going on. They just see the rising gas prices. They see the inflation. They, they notice some things like grocery prices are going up and they kind of see a little bit of it. But I would say a lot of people are probably disassociated with politics and that includes people on the right and people on the left. I think people are just bored of it and uh, you just can't have that. I just Just so you understand – Evil in the world, a spiritual principle that exists, which we talk about in the spiritual matrix, is that evil still needs your consent, okay? With the vaccine, they still need your consent. You have to actually take it, okay? Uh, when it comes to policies that are extremely unpopular, they still need your consent. And this is why the media and really larger corporations and individuals beyond that fund the media and fund Hollywood and fund Netflix and they it, they sponsor things in Amazon Prime and all this other stuff. Um, I can't even get into it because I can't remember the name of it. But there's a show right now about a hybrid child who's like half animal, half human, and they're trying to save this little boy's life, little man pig boy, whatever it is. And they're trying to save their life, but it's not, you know, but it's a whole show about this and that and all these is all white people are bad and all that which we're gonna i'm gonna get into the part three part of this podcast uh, but it, it's just incredible that they have to spend all this money in propaganda in every facet of our lives i mean look at the nba look at the nfl look at netflix it's where all of our attention is there has to be somebody somewhere or some some mass as an organization institutionally that level has to say blm and has to you know, say that gays matter and, and it's, it's just all ridiculous. It's just hyper politicalization, but it's because they need the consent of the masses to enact the policies that are so widely unpopular. Okay. They have to convince people that there's a climate change, that there's horrible things going on and we have to depopulate everybody and we have to have this abortion stuff and we have to, it's just, they have to get everybody on board. And the most exciting and thrilling part to that for people like us who are matrix breakers essentially is that they just don't have somebody in office that can do that. They don't have the, the gravitas 
in Joe Biden that they need in a world leader. And just so you know, the G7 summit that it, that it just happened, which is basically like a global summit, it's the global seven, uh, the you know the seven major nations of the world coming together and sort of you know making agreements and doing all kinds of peace deals. Or they usually there's all kinds of interesting things that happen to that summit. Well, every single leader at that summit is not a populist. They are all institutional power, just political people that have been in politics for decades and decades and decades so you don't have a trump you don't have anything like that anymore you just have like the same old same old game and the same old game just isn't running very well for them anymore so i wanted to get into that and, and make sure you guys understood that as well because that's important like i said they have to have that power so um look i'm going to give you guys an update the audit in arizona has triggered a flurry of activity among state legislators across the country including Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Utah, and Nevada. Sadly, not Michigan, but there's other major states that are starting to question the machines that they've been using in their elections and starting to question the mail-in ballots and starting to question the way in which things were done in 2020. And what happened is the state delegations, okay, the state delegations from these different states, especially the swing states, the ones that kind of were weird and took a while, took like days if not a week to get all the votes in. Remember that? How freaking crazy that was? How totally historically like profound that was? That's never happened in American history where you don't know the the winner of an election on, on November 3rd or, or not November 3rd, but the, the first Tuesday of November, however you want to look at it. I mean, that is insane. It's never happened before, just so you know. That's already an anomaly. They had to count all the mail-in ballots. And it, again, just insanity went on on that election. And I knew it from the freaking start. Said I was I was up till four in the morning on November 3rd, like figuring all this out. And everyone knows that Trump actually won. But here's the most important part, is state governments run elections. That has to be clear with everyone here. State governments run elections. Even though they're federal in terms of you're voting for people to go to go to federal office, it's not the Fed that runs those elections. There is a federal elections commission that oversees you know a lot of these different um, problems with elections and, and discrepancies, uh, which they did nothing by the way, and they purposefully did nothing in the November third election. But and by the way, it is important that we get to the bottom of November third. Okay, but state delegations or state state uh, governments, they run their own elections. They're in charge of their elections, how the elections are done, even to the extent of who can vote and things like that. Um, but of course, some federal law is now in place that obviously lets African-Americans vote, uh, lets other people vote, sets the voting age, things like that. Um, but overall, the states do run their elections. Why do I say that? Why do I make that clear? Is because state legislators, in many cases, are controlled by Republicans. Because if you don't know this, really, the Democrat Party exists purely in major cities. There really isn't a city or town that's under 500,000 people that's Democrat. It's it's very interesting because they 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 just cannot they can't they don't win in rural areas anymore. They used to in Michigan, Wisconsin. They used to be the, there used to be this working class Democrat party that was uh, you know against free trade and had really great policies and and the, sort of the John Kennedy Democrat party that was a very again just a a, a fair sort of balance between the two. Kind of used to be that way, right? But again, the Democrats are Jim Crow and they are the Confederacy. They are the party of the Confederacy. So, I mean, I can't personally be associated with the Democrat Party. It's just an embarrassment. And so, uh, with that being said, these state governments, a few of the state legislators in particular, have traveled to Arizona while the Arizona audit, the audit of the election, okay, and that's in just one county, by the way. It's taken them like two months just to do one county, right? These state officials are visiting the audit. 
they're getting a tour of the audit. They're kind of, you know, hey, this is how we're counting the ballots. This is how we're checking for watermarks. This is how we're checking for the legitimacy of ballots. This is how we're checking for all the discrepancies. This is what we're doing to the ballots when they do have problems. We're sending them over here, and then they're going to be figured out later by another team, and they have this color-coded team thing going on in the convention center. It's a convention center, by the way. So they have all these amazing processes uh, that are going into this audit. And just so you know, when you when you get audited, for example, like your 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 taxes and your 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 income gets audited by the Fed, you know they go over every little penny you make. How did you make that? What was that about? Why did you make twenty dollars here? Who Venmoed you that? It's it gets intense. I mean, it's like an audit is a true you know down to the numbers logistics. Very important what's happening in Arizona. And to have these state delegations visiting Arizona to, to sort of find out why or how they're doing this audit, very important because they can now order or vote on an audit in their own state of their own elections to ensure that the election was done legitimately. That is going to be an interesting way of developing uh, in the future. So really, I think uh, as other states start to vote for these different audits in their state, and it just kind of becomes sort of a snowball effect, uh, my prediction is that by November or December of this year, uh, even mainstream news will be forced to report that Trump won the election on November 3rd, 2020. And that is when all hell is going to break loose. And people are all going to wake up just like you would have never thought that Dr. Anthony Fauci would get in trouble for all the shit that he did and all the stuff he pulled. Well, he did, right? He's been outed. Now, again, he hasn't been prosecuted the way I think he should be prosecuted. A lot of things haven't happened to Dr. Anthony Fauci yet that I think should happen to him. But what is important is that even polling, polling data shows the majority of the American people are really just tired of Anthony Fauci's bullshit. And they understand you're getting more and more people to realize, I think about, I think now it's about 70% of people also believe that the virus was man-made, came from the Wuhan lab, came from the University of North Carolina, if you really want to track it back. And that is very, very important because if we can find out how this virus got out and all this other stuff happened, then the public will uh, never fall for it again in the way they did. I'm, I'm not saying they won't ever. I'm just saying that in the same way that they did, they're going to have to kind of do this in the next 20 to 30 years in the future because we're all going to remember it if they try to do it again this fall or next year. It's just it's just going to it's going to be too obvious. And that is the most amazing news about Dr. Anthony Fauci and about the whole coronavirus and COVID-19 situation. But the same thing's going to be true for the election. Everyone's going to know that Trump won the election. And that's going to be so explosive that even the Democrats, mainstream, you know, kind of people, uh, working class Democrats who just, you know, hit that D lever every time they vote, they're even going to know that Donald Trump won the election. Uh, and, and that's important. Think about this. Trump won the election, totally fair and square. He had the majority of the votes. There's no way Joe Biden got 80 million votes. Trump won a record high of 74 million votes. And Biden probably honestly got about 68 million, 68 million, maybe, maybe 66 million votes. I mean, they had to pull a lot of shenanigans to get this guy over the top. Okay. Just so you understand. And, um, you know, it's, just, it's important. It's important to know that the American people don't actually, they didn't actually vote for this guy, Biden, or any of these policies that are not just happening from the executive branch, but are now in the legislative branch as well. Uh, these people are voting in Congress on stupid bills that are destroying this country. So um, here's the other thing. This is, another, this is another point to make about the populism rising in the country is that parents from around the country have been speaking to their school boards locally about masking children and the critical race theory concept. 
And, uh, you know, this is very important because local politicians are where we can make the real change. Uh, notice over COVID, the local county level was different depending on what county you were in. Some counties were locked down. Some counties were open. I remember like where I'm at, I went one county line over and everything was open. It was the weirdest dystopia I've ever experienced. It was like just driving down the road in a, in a specific direction, the same businesses, like the Best Buy in that area and the Target over there was like no mask, no problem. Everything's fine. Everything's open. But like in Boulder, it was like all locked down and nobody was even able to come in to Best Buy. You'd have to like order online and like just pick it up at the door. It was just stupid. So I, I just find that very interesting. So how important is local politics? I mean, good God, right? Uh, and so I want you to think about that in terms of the education boards, because usually in these neighborhoods and these, you know, sort of larger to small school districts, uh, these are run by school boards, usually like a sort of like a Supreme Court justice, like nine people who like vote on certain policies and things that are going to be implemented in schools. And what pissed off moms, which are moms are the most important political force right now in the country. What pissed off the moms was the masking of the kids. Even the most liberal, liberal moms were thinking, this is stupid. Why am I putting a mask on my child? This is totally psychologically screwing them up. This is totally messed up for my child. And they have to wear this thing all fucking day in a, in a PE class in, 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 during the spring, summer, the spring, winter. It doesn't matter. Just always wearing it. It was ridiculous. Personally, I don't know about you, I would get physically upset at the sight of a child in a mask. I just couldn't handle it. I, I mean, just, I, I started to, you know, really kind of start to talk to people and be like, hey, why? Like, why? Why the child in the mask? Especially when you have the adult without a mask on and then the children are wearing masks. Like, again, just more dystopian idiocracy right? Like, wow. So you're not going to wear one, but your little slave children are going to wear a mask. It's just, it's just gross. It's disgusting as a human being to do that and to watch that happen. So with that being said though, to all their credit, there were a lot of moms of all political spectrums that hated masking their children. And they were, if you didn't see the videos, there were plenty of them, but I'm pointing it out now to make sure we don't forget is all of these moms going to the school boards, going to their local districts uh, and speaking. And you saw all those clips from these, you know, local areas who were just, you know, random people petitioning their government, talking about it, protesting, right? And you saw these videos of moms just scorching these school boards and being like, none of the science, what science are you following? I've, I've seen some amazing clips of just regular moms just doing their research and being like, why are you doing this to our kids? There's no science that's backing up these policies. This is hurting the children. There's all this evidence that it's hurting kids. Kids are committing suicide at a higher rate. I mean, these moms were laying down the hammer on these local politicians and it was absolutely wonderful to watch. Uh, and on top of that, now that the masking is kind of like, okay, we're not going to let the mask on anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, we're not going to forget of that. You did that. You know, here is another thing. That's the problem is the critical race theory. Now people are just so involved now all of a sudden with going to the school boards. And this is what I mean, guys. Very important. The fact that the institutional powers have pushed so hard in terms of government force over 2020, it has awakened even regular people to be involved in their local government at a local level. So much so that that involvement for one purpose, which was the lockdowns, the masking of children, whatever you want to call it, it's now overlapping into all of these other areas where people believe that their government is going too far and putting regulations, taxes, and all kinds of things. Because a lot of the reason behind this government amassing more and more power was because of our nature being of the public to do absolutely nothing about it. No petitions, no protests, 
No, you know, addressing your grievances to the government in some kind of a council hearing. None of it. None of it. People just didn't give a shit. Everyone just got pissed and, you know, would say something online or talk to their friends about it over dinner, right? But no one actually got active. But the lockdowns were so bad that now people know where their local courthouses are. People know where their local municipalities are. You know, they they know where they are. They know how to get there. They know who's in power in their local area. They know their Facebook. They know their phone number. They know the restaurants that they might own. They, they know all kinds of stuff about the local politicians now. And because of that, it's going to be very hard to continue this authoritarian power grab in other ways, whether it's going to be the climate change hysteria that's coming down the rabbit hole right now, or whether it's going to be the... Um, aliens that are going to come visit us and how governments are going to try to organize with the aliens like god knows what the fuck is next but here's the cool part is because we're all awake now and we all know how to drive down to the street and we know who's in power in our local area and we know how to talk to them and we know how to write letters and people are i guarantee you more people in this country have written to their local politicians or to their their federal politicians or to the president or to whoever more often in this era, in this sort of year and a half or so of lockdowns than ever in the history of our country. That is a scary, scary thing to the institutional powers because they do not want people to know what they're up to, to be present. They don't want them to just, you know, they just want you to vote for them and just move the fuck on. Don't worry about what they're up to. Don't worry about the new taxes. Don't worry about the new regulations they're going to put on to you, your business, your family, your schools, everything, right? It's none of that anymore. Everyone is pissed. Everyone's over it. And now people are making it a goddamn hobby to go to their local city council to talk some crazy mess to them about the shitty policies they're endorsing, which I'm all for. I think that's wonderful. I think that should continue to happen. So that is important. Uh, look, uh, we are already seeing the results of these uh, lockdown measures and especially on the border, the bad border and immigration policies of the executive branch, which is not Joe Biden. It is a consortium of powers of people that are running Joe Biden and are running our executive branch and writing all his letters and writing all of his executive orders. But again, putting it simply, people are pissed about it. So much so that in McAllen, Texas, um, I'm going to read to you guys the article here. Republicans flip mayorship of McAllen, Texas, major border town with 85% Hispanic population. Okay. So McAllen is a major border town of 140,000 people and 85% Hispanic. Okay. This is Hidalgo County went for Joe Biden by 17 points in the 2020 election. That is massive. So according to just in 2020, just in November 3rd in 2020, the McAllen area voted for Joe Biden by 17%. Okay, like that is a lot. That is a massive victory. But all of a sudden, since Joe Biden's been in office since November, well, January been in office, but November election, just in this time frame in May, this 85% Hispanic and 17% over Democrat, meaning like however you want to look at it, whether that's like, what is it, 60-40 basically, 60-40%, 60% Democrat, 40% Republican, probably even, probably even more Democrat than that. They just voted for a Republican mayor. Think about that for a second. That is writing on the wall. That is a signal to the rest of the country that conservatives are going to start getting elected to office. Now, is that a good thing all the way? No, I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but what I do know is that it is easier to take control over the Republican party from a local township level than it is to do the same thing with the Democrat party. The way the Democrat party structure is guys, just so you understand the politics of it, the Democrat party is set up in a way to where no, nobody actually has power in a very in the smallest ways. You don't really have power. All they want is your money, and if they're not going to get it through you, they're just going to get it from major corporations like even the NBA supporting Black Lives Matter. I mean, honestly, it is 
it is that is that much okay so this is the thing we have to consider is how did the republican and conservative parties win this mayorship in McAllen and now are winning all over the country by the way how is this happening this is this is telling you that people are pissed people are not trusting the democrat party anymore and people are getting active inside of the republican party on a local level by the way um, there are people actually getting involved being precinct chairman which is their version of like um sort of like an officer hierarchy where they're able to control uh, and vote on specific things like policies that are going to folk they're going to focus on and even uh, nominees to their local political levels and to their state governorship all that other stuff so all that is very very important and so a lot of that now is run by people who supported Donald Trump and people who are uh, uh, with for lack of a better word more populist okay so I, I give you this sort of um, canary in the coal mine okay if you know that reference it's a signal it's a it's it's a hint at where the country's going with this McAllen mayor race and anybody who knows me I have some like family friends in McAllen that live there I have visited McAllen I don't know maybe 20 25 times in my life I mean that's like once a year because I'm like 26 years old um, I have visited McAllen many many times and I have seen the nature of it all there I actually dated a congressman's daughter from Hidalgo County um, yeah though well the district is different but the point is is I dated the congressman's daughter so I know the politics of that district and I can tell you right now that's Democrat all the way like anytime a Democrat is gonna win the nomination over there they're just guaranteed to win no matter who they are honestly that's it's that bad over there and that's on the border guys and that is where a lot of illegals are a lot of illegals live in McAllen because there are certain um, checkpoints along the way going north from from McAllen going back up to San Antonio Texas where I'm from they actually ID you and they check, hey, are you an American citizen? The Border Patrol does that and they have dogs checking for drugs, which I have some stories about South Padre Island and drugs and marijuana and all that shit. Uh, but that's for another podcast, okay? Maybe some more personal stuff about my life. But this hit me in a very personal way because I know the city, I know the politics somewhat, and I know the people that live there. I know the Hispanics that live there. I know how it is there. And for them to have a Republican mayor there, it means a lot to me because – and from what I understand, by the way, this particular person – I don't want to butcher his name – Javier Villalobos – that's his name, this guy. He's, he seems like a really sharp guy, and he wasn't, apparently. He was not the Republican's choice. The Republican Party wanted somebody else. This guy ended up being a Trump guy, a populist, a real serious individual when it comes to you know populist policies that he was able to win. So, hey, you know what? That's a big deal, and I pray and hope that McAllen can see some recovery because the violence there is ridiculous. So much of the cartel is there. It's just absolutely insane. So I just think that that is very significant. Now, to kind of wrap up even more um, on this on that behalf, um, which is just where the country's going. Okay, so over the weekend there was this thing called the Western Conservative Summit, which was in Denver. Which I mean, I didn't even know it was happening. Uh, I would have gone otherwise. I would have totally gone just to go meet some people, shake some hands. I'm actually kind of disappointed that I didn't didn't know that was going on. Um, but I could just say this. I mean, they did a recent straw poll. They did, they did some polls. What do I mean by polling? Polling meaning like what's important and if you were to pick this or that, who would it be or what would it be? Okay. They did that poll for who should be the Republican selection or nominee for president of the United States. Well, guess what? Guess who won that? Not Donald Trump. Donald Trump did not win this new poll. This was done, again, like I said, by all conservatives and I would say even very significant people were there and, very, and, and a lot of people were there in terms of the, the, the heart and soul of the, the Republican Party were, were there at this summit and uh, they did not select Donald Trump. They actually selected Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Um, that's significant. Uh, let me tell you the polling data here. Ron won 74.12%. Uh, 
Trump was at 71.4%. This is absolutely massive because I already told you guys that if Trump doesn't run, Ron DeSantis will run and he will win in 2024. It's on my Instagram. I timestamped it because I knew this would happen. Um, but also I said if Trump did win in 2024, Ron DeSantis would be our president in uh, 2028. Okay, He would run in 2028. So that all can still happen. Regardless, my prediction is that Ron DeSantis will be the president of the United States. I don't think he'll be the next one. I don't know if he'll be the next one. I think he might. He will be the president of the United States. Mark my words. Here's what's important about that. Trump needs a competitor. He needs a competitor because a competitor, Trump would agree with this. It's, all, it's in his books and stuff. Competitors make you better. And Ron DeSantis is better than Donald Trump in many ways. Not always, but many ways. He is a true populist. He is a, a guy who went to Harvard and he graduated Harvard Law and he, he joined the Navy SEALs. Went, he, well, first of all, he got to become a Navy SEAL, which is a big deal and accomplishment. And then he was even uh, sent overseas as an officer. So again, he was in the military, even though he had a degree in Harvard Law. He did not have to go. to the, He did not have to sign up. None of it. But he served this country. That is so important. So he was a soldier and now he was a, then he was a congressman and then he is now the governor of Florida. And everyone knows that Florida's state policies right now are the most popular, not just in the country, but in the entire world. I want you to think about that. Governor Ron DeSantis is the most popular politician in the world in that sense, because what he's doing the policies of we're not masking kids, we're not masking anybody. Anyone's free to do whatever they want. No one needs a vaccine. We're 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 canceling the the these these cruise ships because they're going to try to have a vaccine passport. I'm making that illegal. I'm going to go to court. Boom. I mean, just at one thing after another has just been explosively incredible what Governor Ron DeSantis is doing. And that is what makes him better than Trump. Because Trump went along with this whole program. He screwed up a lot of it. And you know what? Ron speaks way better than Trump does. His communication skills, his focus, his diligence. He, and it, he's, just a better, he's just a better guy, I think. He's just a better, more sophisticated guy who's on point with it. Now, Trump is more popular um, in terms of like all over the country kind of thing. And the best part about Trump is that he's, he's, he's not going to fall into the, the whims of the Republican Party. So my best ideal situation would be that Trump runs for president and he wins and he makes Ron DeSantis his vice president. He basically has Ron and him run the, the whole country and then Ron will then – he will be catapulted perfectly into the position of Republican nominee in 2028. He will win four years and possibly even another eight years. And so we will have literally just a whopper amount of time with uh, with some, some awesome presidents in the very near future. And um, look, I really want Ron DeSantis. He, what's going to happen, guys, is this. I'm already telling you, and if you're listening to this podcast, you get to hear it first. Okay? Ron DeSantis is going to run for president. He's not going to run for vice president with Trump. I believe he will run for president. He will compete with Trump for the Republican nomination for president. Ted Cruz, Mike Pompeo, and a couple others will also run for president of the United States in 2024. What Ron is going to do for Trump is make Trump better. He's going to make Trump better. And what I mean by that is I pray that Ron DeSantis, I keep on it, I put a T at the end. It's Ron DeSantis, right? But anyway, Ron DeSantis is going to, I hope, destroy Trump on policy that Trump fucked up on, like the vaccines and like the lockdowns and everything else. I really pray that Ron destroys Trump in the public about the lockdowns and makes Trump try to compete with trying to be the real populist. And it'll be like 
that Eminem song, like, will the, will the real populace please stand up? Please stand up. Because that's what we need, guys. We don't need this communist versus capitalist. Like, that, that's so irrelevant. Communism is so stupid that in the political dialogue, and even I and I, I welcome debates with communists and socialists and all of it. I welcome the debate. I love it. I don't mind it. But it's it's degrading our intellectual capacity to move the fuck on. Communism, socialism doesn't fucking work. And attacking it and trying to demonize it, it's just so it's such a waste of fucking time. We need populists fucking smashing it out on the world stage. That's what we really, really need. We need like, we need Ron DeSantis to be like, I love Bitcoin. And then Donald Trump to say, well, I don't think it's a good idea. We need that battle. We don't need like institutional powers like, oh, we both hate Bitcoin and we're just going to not talk about it and make it a major political issue. No, it's going to be a fucking major political issue. It's going to be in 2024. Bitcoin is going to explode. It's going to rival gold in value at some point. So again, putting the Bitcoin aside, but I'm just saying we need populism and even left-wing populism is fine with me. I don't like the socialism and, and communism stupid shit, but left-wing, there is a form of left-wing populism, which is kind of like the anti-corporate, the old liberal got people, which is kind of like where I'm at, which is like anti-establishment, you know, they're like anti-new world order, but they, for some reason, they've been convinced that they don't like America anymore. But some of them are populist enough to understand that America needs a nationalistic point of view and, and everything else. So again, I welcome left-wing populists to come together with right-wing populists and make a super fucking majority of the country because we're all tired of the old corporate hags and all the bullshit from the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. And Trump, you know, he's, he's great. He's great at, at what, what he, where he's at, what he's doing. But again, I just think Ron DeSantis in the debates, which I'm praying for, will make Donald Trump a better person. It'll make Donald Trump a better president. And I hope that a lot of what Ron's going to do is whenever he becomes vice president with Trump is he's going to have a lot of tasks that Trump's going to give him that are going to do that are going to help him build up his political capital. And uh, that's very, very important. You heard it here first. There's going to be a freaking populist like brawl. It's going to be so exciting to see Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump. I, I'm Obviously, Biden's not going to run a second term. The Democrats are going to pick probably even Stacey Abrams to run for president. I'm not even kidding. That woman out of Georgia. Yeah, she's probably going to run for president and be the nominee for the Democratic Party. Just saying. Maybe Kamala runs for president. Uh, but again, that's just... It's just... The Democrats, if we can get the elections fixed, which is all a process, takes time, but if we can get the election systems fixed, then we are going to, uh, we're going to, Republicans, conservatives are going to win. So it doesn't even matter who runs on the Democrat ticket. I'm sorry. The Democrat party is over. They were already finished in 2020, 2020. Yeah. They were already finished. The Democrat party is finished. They have no more power. All they have is corporate and institutional and media power. That's it. That's all they have left, okay? So again, very, very important aspects. The last thing I'm going to mention in this part two podcast of Populism Awakening is the fact that there's really no political capital left in D.C. now that people are awakened, okay? So look, you can imagine that with the three branches of government being in Democrat hands, that stupid policies would be passed and they wouldn't be enacted already, right? Well, guess what? A lot of what the Democrats are trying to do and trying to pass, like the election legislation they were trying to pass, the first thing they were trying to pass was how to rig elections permanently and make them all federal, by the way. I don't know if you figured that out. Well, guess what? The Democrats were pissed because a guy named Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat senator out of West Virginia, decided that he didn't want to vote for that radical elections bill because he is in what we would call a swing state. There's a, there's like, I think there's like a Republican governor there and there's a lot of Republican like districts in West Virginia, but somehow he still, he won like, you know, his term is up and he won, you know, six years ago, five years ago when it was kind of Democrat. Right. And so now he's like, if I vote for this, my career's over. Does that make sense? So he can't, as a Democrat, 
he can't vote for a Democrat policy because his state is Republican. So if he does that, the Republican contender for senator is going to beat this guy down with the fact that this guy voted for a radical bill like that. Because believe it or not, even there are Democrats in the Democrat Party that are moderates that are like, hey, I don't know if the lockdowns are a good idea. Like, you know, there are moderate Democrats out there, believe it or not. And those moderate Democrats are the ones that put Joe Manchin in power in Senate, in the Senate from West Virginia. So when Joe Manchin said, I can't vote for this, he was really speaking for about 10 to 14 senators. Just so you know, there's 100 senators, two per state, 50 states, two times 50 is 100. So 100 senators, right? And so if I'm telling you that they have, a, and it's split right now, it's like 50-50 Democrat-Republican and, and the, the vice president, which is Kamala Harris, she would tie. She, she, could, she could vote for bills if we needed it, if, if, if all the Democrats voted. Guys, what I just said is crucial. Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia, says he cannot vote for radical bullshit that's coming out of either Joe Biden or coming out from Congress. He represents 10 to 14 other senators that cannot afford, politically speaking, to vote for radical policies. They can't afford it. Do you understand? If they vote for stupid policies, they will be voted out of office. So in a desperate grasp for political uh, self-preservation, they are not going to vote for stupid-ass policies. Okay? So there's a deadlock in Washington, D.C. And Biden is so unpopular and so old and decrepit and now just literally just failing in the eyes of the public, just total failure, that he has no political capital left. Even though they want to do all this stuff, they cannot get it all done. They can't get it all done. Don't you understand that now? They can't do it because there's too many senators and some Congress people that are Democrats that just they, they, they aren't willing to lose their jobs. Does that make sense? They're not willing to lose their hold on power. Well, I have this. I'm a senator and I'm not going to vote for this if it's going to cost me my senatorship, right? That's how they're thinking. They're, and they're, they're, it's funny because they're selfish. They're like they won't vote with the party kind of thing. You know, that's, that's according to the radicals in the party, right? So they won't vote for it. And uh, they're saving themselves is at least what they think. They're saving themselves, right, from the destruction of the political madness that is about to happen in the next four years. Um, so I just wanted to tell you guys that, in essence, populism is rising. And there's so much to look at when, when it comes to it. These are just a few key points that I wanted to present to all of you. Uh, but look, we're winning, okay? The government right now, the federal government is just, they're stalled. They don't know what to do. They, they can't really move forward on the vaccine passports. They can't move forward about lockdowns and they can't do the things that they wanted to do with the elections bills and, and the energy and the climate change bullshit. Like they're just not getting it done. They're not getting, they're not able to do anything. So in that way, we're actually winning. Okay. Because we're being the people, these citizens of the United States of America are not becoming victims to stupid ass policies that would destroy the entire country. And we're barely hanging on as it is with the US dollar collapsing and the inflation rising and the gas prices and energy and all kinds of problems, which I'm gonna get to by the way in the next podcast because there are ways for them to strike back. There are gonna be ways for them to attack and to reorganize themselves and to, change the narrative so that they can get the public to buy into the bullshit. That's going to be in the next podcast. I'm going to tell you exactly what they're going to do, how they're going to roll it all out. And I'm going to tell you what's coming next, because what's important is that you're awake now and you might be aware, but I'm going to tell you what, based on what I read, because I read the elitist publications. Okay. I read their publications. I know the signals they're sending to people in power. I understand it because If you understand that, then you understand what they're going to do next, how their strategy is changing, how their strategy is adjusting. And so I'm going to get into that in the next podcast.
So I hope you guys tune into that. That's going to be a part three to this, again, a larger podcast that I'm developing here. And I'm excited for that. So look, if you listen to this entire thing, I absolutely appreciate you and just all of it. And I want you to reach out. I want you to hit me up. Let me know what you think about everything and uh, connect with me. You know, Connect with me personally. Love that. I love phone conversations even if you're open to it. And definitely leave a five-star review on the podcast because that also helps the podcast a lot. And uh, feel free to become a customer of Longevity. You definitely will not regret it. You're supporting me. This is how I make my money. Um, but also you're supporting the content and you're supporting yourself because the products you're going to get from Longevity are also just going to benefit your entire life. And I can go endlessly about that, which I will in future podcasts. But for now, I appreciate y'all tuning in. I appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your day. Peace.